The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Read my lips. No new taxes. Keep America moving forward, always forward. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That in my years of public life, that I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. As we gather tonight, our nation is at war, our economy is in recession, and the civilized world faces unprecedented dangers. Yet the state of our union has never been stronger. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. America, America. Uh... My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad that you've chosen to be here. If you didn't come this weekend, you'd have missed Brian Williams and the Soggy Bottom Boys, right? <laughs> Give it up for them. Wasn't that awesome? Right? Yeah. It's ridiculous. We're all this modern church, but I tell you, this has been the fourth service, and when we play that old-timey music, when we start playing old-timey, you lose your minds. I've, all four services, I mean, we've got, you know... Metrosexual guys with product on their hair. Ding, 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 ding. Can't even handle it. Can't, I love it. I love it. And Brian's right. We can worship and it doesn't matter how. So, um, uh, sweetheart, sorry for that gesture. I know you're embarrassed. But okay. Um, so, we're talking about politics. So, if you notice, we got you in a really good mood. So maybe if you've lost your rocks by now, it hasn't been that bad actually, right? We told you last week that we're going to tell you who to vote for. And I'm earnest about that. I'm serious. We're going to tell you who to vote for today, okay? We're, you know, we've examined the scripture, prayed, studied. You know, someone asked me this morning, this is a joke, right? It's a joke. And I go, no, it's not a joke, for real. This is for real. And we know that some people are going to come today and you're ready to be mad. Well, those kind of people, you'll leave mad too. I just want to tell you, those people are always mad. And we love you and God loves you and you need to stop being mad. But um, some of you will be frustrated by the end of the day. Hopefully, all of us, God will give us something to think about. Hopefully, he'll do that for us. Hopefully, you don't throw any rocks. Uh, Our staff and my wife in particular fear for my life this weekend. It hasn't been that bad. I was only punched once. I was punched this morning uh, after the 9 a.m. by Sandy Wilson in the face, okay? (laughs) But it was not on purpose, right? Okay? So that was cool. We're okay. It was all good. She felt bad. But uh, it is fun to say you got punched. Um, We're in a season where there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, right? It's election time. Who do I vote for? Okay? 
Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? Are you Green Party? Are you Libertarian? Are you sick of it? Right? I mean, it's funny, even during the intro video, you know, when sometimes when politicians open their mouths, you know, it's like it's a big comedy show. I am not a crook, right? And you're already laughing. Or read my lips. Oh, if there was ever a phrase a politician would, she'd have never said. Those of you that, you know, went to public school and didn't learn anything about history, he raised taxes, okay? Um, how do we navigate these waters? What about God in this? What should a Christian do? Where does the church stand? Should we keep everything separate? Should we just walk away? Should we have nothing to do with politics? Is politics dirty and all politicians? What does God have to say about it? Well, the passage um, that we chose, I think is very instructive for us. And at first glance, you, you may not see it, but I think, or I'm hoping that by the end of this message, you'll see that I think God has a word for us, for all of us, regardless of what part of the political spectrum you come from. We're looking at Joshua chapter 5 to start out with, and just, you don't need to know the entire backdrop, but the short version is this, is God chose a people in which to glorify himself. And he says in scripture, I didn't choose these people because there was anything special about them, not because they were good looking or extra righteous or anything. He chose the sons and daughters of Abraham in which to bless the whole world. The Jewish nation, Israel, the Hebrew people, That's who he chose to glorify himself with. So if there's any people that could say, God's on our team, it's the Jews. And the leader of the Jews at this period of time, the leader of the Hebrews is a man named Joshua. He'd been Moses' right hand man. And now Moses is dead. And now he's the leader. He's the commander of this nation. And this nation of God's chosen people with God's chosen leader is marching into the promised land, modern day Israel. So God's promised them the land, he's promised that they're his people, and this is his leader, and they're coming up to an obstacle, and the obstacle is a city called Jericho. It's a city-state, a walled city, a very powerful city. These are the bad guys. These are the people that don't agree with you politically. These are the people that don't worship your God. They're idol worshipers, they're pagans, they have no interest in the one true God. They're not on God's team, that's for sure. And where we pick up the story in Joshua 5, God's chosen people led by God's chosen man going towards this promised land that he said is going to be theirs, Joshua's on a scouting mission, checking it out. Verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5 says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did so. And we'll stop the reading right there. I'll tell you what happened next is the commander of the Lord's armies told him what to do. He told him to go to Jericho and march around it once a day, every day for seven days. 
silently. And on the seventh day, he was to march around seven times. And on the seventh time, give a mighty shout. And what scripture teaches and what I believe is the walls of Jericho fell down and there was a great victory. But that's not what the focus is. The focus is this little scouting mission. It says Joshua comes up to a man, an angel, an angel of the Lord. Remember in the Old Testament, whenever you see the angel of the Lord appear, pay very close attention. Sometimes an angel has a specific name and it's a specific created angel, like the angel Gabriel that came to Mary when she was told that she was going to have a child and she would name him Jesus. That was the angel Gabriel. But we're not given a name to this person. But this person says, I am the commander of the Lord's armies. Other translations put it a little bit more nuanced. It says, I command all the armies of the Lord. And when Joshua realized that he was speaking to a being with authority, a being from another world, Joshua fell on his face in worship. Can I tell you something? If that was a messenger angel or an angel Michael or anything else, he would not have accepted worship from Joshua. You tracking with me so far? Many times in the Old Testament, when you see the angel of the Lord, that's the pre-incarnate Christ. So here's the perspective. The angel, or Jesus, is standing with a sword in front of God's people, with God's man, doing what God had called them to do. And Joshua asks this question. Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Are you for us or are you against us? Are you with us? Are you on our team? Are you on their team? Don't you just love God? He says, no. No, no, no. There's only two choices. You're either with us or you're with them. No, I refuse to participate in your multiple choice. Don't you love how God answers? I'm not on your team. I'm on my team. I'm on my team. Now, that's an important perspective. It's not just a, oh, isn't that cute? No, because then he proceeds to say what his will and his purpose and his plan was so he would be glorified. But when he was, wait a minute, we're your chosen people. I'm your chosen guy. This is your chosen plan. Certainly you're for us. No, I'm for me. Now take off your shoes, this place is holy. And he bows down and he worships. See, that puts us in a proper place because, see, this is what we want to do. Is God a Republican or is God a Democrat? No. He's for God's political party. Is God a Protestant or is he with them Catholics? No. He's for God. Is God for Michigan or is he for Michigan State? No, he's for Notre Dame. His name for his mom. Come on, guys. No, that's not true either. Because think about it. You know, when Buckley plays Kingsley, there's Christians in both those towns praying for their team to win. Same thing with music. Yes, even music. Right? When Michigan plays Michigan State, when Michigan plays Ohio State, now to calm down, there are Christians that root for Ohio State. I know it's hard to believe. My dad's one of them. But if it's true for teams, it's true for politics, it's true. You know, Lord, are you with us? Are you with America? Are you with them Russians? 
No. I'm with me. The question isn't, do we get to take God in our political party, our sports team, our country, our flag, our agenda, our issue, or are we on his team? See, he's given Joshua a little lesson. I command the Lord's army. Now, are you ready to listen to what I have to say? Joshua took the proper position, which is to get on his face. I love that answer. No, I do not participate in your multiple choice. Now, don't hear me wrong. There's much that scripture says about God, the church, Christians, government, and politics. In Mark chapter 12, there's this uh, important moment where they were trying to trap Jesus to take a political side. Remember that moment when they said, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Rome? And they were just trying to trap him. They were trying to co-op this rock star Messiah guy for their movement. And very brilliantly, Jesus says, bring me a coin. They brought him a coin. He says, whose face is on the coin? They said, Caesar. And then in Mark 12, 17, he says, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Christians, church, I think we're, we understand the give to Caesar what is Caesar's. What does that mean? Well, pay our taxes, get involved in the civic process, run for office, support a candidate, love your country. I love my country. I give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But why is it that every four years or every election time or every whatever, we start freaking out and we give way more to Caesar and we give nothing to God? All of our anxiety, all of our worry, all of our conversation, all of our Facebook posts, all of the stupid emails we forward to each other. If you love Jesus, you'll vote for him and you'll forward this to a thousand people. Send that to me and I will delete you forever and send you a virus from hell. Talk about conditional love if you love Jesus. How do you know if I love Jesus or not? You know? And is Jesus for your candidate? No, he's for him. Question, is your candidate for Jesus? Is he for your political party? No, he's got his own agenda. Question is, does your agenda match up with his agenda? Now, we're supposed to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar's. Should Christians be involved in politics? Please, yes, yes. We need godly men and women that serve on school boards and on township boards and, and as governors and in legislatures and, and if this your country and parliaments and, and, and running for president and senate. Yes, Christians in the military. We need more Christians in the military, right? We need godly men and women everywhere. Participate, care, love your country. But don't forget to give to God what belongs to God. In Romans chapter 13, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us that Christians ought to live their lives subject to the governing authorities, meaning respect your government, honor your government, obey the laws. And he told people that were living under persecution, under Caesar's thumb, be subject to earthly authority, respect them, honor them. And then he said something that's very hard for us to stomach. He says, all earthly authority is ordained by God. There's a verse, look it up. What does that mean? That means every king, every queen, every president, every prime minister, every senator, every congressman, every pastor, every legislator, all the way down to dog catcher. 
Nobody gets any position of authority, whether they are good or bad, unless God allows it. What about the Fuhrer? You see, God has purposes that sometimes we don't understand. And when we try to say, this is God's team and you better get on his team, you know, I talk to some people, they've been so frustrated with politics the last 20 or 30 years. And, and even though they said this last election and the election before and the election before, this is now the most important one. This is the one. We're going to hell in a handbasket. And there's a hole in the basket, right? And so this is the most important one. And, and, and they think God's on their side, but they've lost the last 30 elections. I start to wonder, man, your God's pretty weak. <laughs> he can't win. Because we all know that if, that if God actually took our sides, Notre Dame would be national champion every year. <laughs> and they're not. They're not. Sometimes those wicked pagans in Alabama win. So there's this tension. There's a tension. Christians have always lived in this tension. Quick history lesson. Many of you know that before I was a pastor, I was a history teacher. My undergrad, I had a triple major. Because I love my country, I love history, I love politics, I love all this stuff. So I was a history, government, and political science major. Triple major. That was my major, right? And uh, I'm forgetting one, but whatever. Do you know the best form of government is not our form of government? Can I just say that? We've been told it is. Democracy is the greatest. Well, first of all, we're not a democracy. We're a republic. There's a difference. Democracy is mob rule. Democracy is where the majority rules. If the majority ruled right now, either Kanye or a Kardashian would be president. (laughs) Democracy sucks, okay? We're a republic. That means we democratically elect people to make wise, selfless choices. But here's the problem with our republican democracy. We assume that it's like God-ordained and biblical and we're the chosen people. Yeah, there was some Christian, there was a lot of godly people involved in the founding of our nation. But don't think for a moment that they were all selfless, God-fearing people, because they weren't. John Adams, godly man. Thomas Jefferson, I'm not sure. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, a big part of the Constitution, but he also owned slaves, had sex with slaves, and children with slaves, so that's sex trafficking, so Jefferson's a sex trafficker, and uh, he had a Bible, but cut out every reference to anything supernatural, making him a deist, and if you start cutting out Bibles, cutting out all the miracles that happen in a Bible, watch out for lightning, right? So I'm not just trashing Thomas Jefferson, there's a lot of admiral things about Thomas Jefferson, but don't make him your pastor, don't deify him. But we do that. We assume that everyone dead and gone, oh, they were so great. No, they weren't. He was a wife beater. Not Jefferson, but whoever you're thinking of. (laughs) So we got to be careful. So our form of government is not the best form of government. The best form of government is a benevolent king. One person with all-encompassing power that is righteous and good, that has has a heart after God. Closest thing I think we've ever come to it is David. He was called a man after God's own heart. He was the king of Israel, right? But even he had an affair and then murdered somebody to cover it up and was a pretty jacked up father. He had some, you know, father issues of his own. So if the best form of government is a benevolent king, how do we get it? 
And what does it look like? Best form of government is if you could find a man who was perfectly just, that was always selfless, right? That always did the right thing, that was always on the side of good, never sinned. That would be awesome. It was also perfectly merciful and loving and kind, right? That cared about the needy and the poor and the downtrodden and was also perfectly gracious, right? Who's that? Jesus. And if we read our Bible, we're promised one day we will have the most perfect government with the most perfect king. So in the meantime, who do we vote for? Vote for Jesus. I think we're called somehow in this tension to vote for Jesus. And I know the kingdom's not here yet. And I know in the meantime, we're called to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And I don't have all the answers for how we do that. But I do know that we can vote for Jesus and we're called to vote for Jesus because that's the kind of king I want. I don't want to mess it up with any parliaments or any more laws or any crooked judges or, you know, any more taxes or any more border things or all the issues. I just want a king that'll just do right, do the right thing and do it loving and mercifully and kind. That's Jesus. How do we vote for Jesus? I got seven things that I think that in this election is important for us to keep in mind of how we can vote for Jesus because I do believe there's a way to vote for Jesus. We can vote for Jesus by the way we live, by the way we think, by the way we act, by the things we say. Every single one of us can vote for Jesus. First of all, you vote for Jesus. The only way to vote for Jesus, you got to love Jesus. You notice how many people, they so quickly want to convince you that their candidate's the right one. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And if you're here today and I hurt your feelings just a little bit, I want to save you from something. We have so-called right-thinking Christians that have actually tried to tell me that Donald Trump is their guy because in the Bible has the word trumpet. (laughs) Really? There's also hills in the Bible as in Hillary. And there's trees in the Bible. You're going to go vote for the Green Party. Really? I mean, for real. We try so hard to give our allegiance to a party or a platform or an issue. We want so much for our candidate to be everything we've hoped for. It says in Matthew chapter 22 that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's Jesus. Your first allegiance, my allegiance, must be to Jesus. You can love your country, but your butt belongs to Jesus. And so does your heart. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Our first allegiance is to Jesus. We need to love Jesus more than Democrat, more than Republican, more than Libertarian, more than the stars and stripes. And we're looking anywhere for something or someone else to love, and we're called to love Jesus. Second thing, we need to trust Jesus. You know, I said it before, I'll say it again. It's, you know, in these times, you always see Christians are full of fear. And I'm the same way. I'm not sitting here. I mean, I, I get, oh man, what's going to happen to the Supreme Court? What's going to happen in our country? What if they pass that law? I'm not for that issue. I don't think that that's the right thing. And what about our borders? And we've got these immigrants. We've got terrorism. We've got taxes. Look at our pocketbooks. They're going to take our guns away. What's going to happen? As Christians, should we not, those of us that trust in God, 
trust that he's in control, should we not be the most fearless people on the planet? Why are Christians acting the most fearful? They're taking away our rights. The next thing you know, we're going to be throwing Christians in jail and our pastor's going to be in jail. Might be a good thing. Um, They're going to take away our churches. They're going to tax us out of existence. What are we going to do? Everywhere the church is persecuted, it flourishes. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Do we believe that? No, we just don't want to go through it. Trust Jesus. Stop trusting. Can you trust Donald Trump? I don't know. Can you trust Hillary Clinton? I don't know. Can you trust Jesus? I'm for sure. What's going to happen next year? I don't know. Will God still be God? You betcha. Have you read the back of the book? Yeah, it's pretty cool. We win. But some of us, we put our trust in government. Some of us still have this idea, and it's wicked, and it's sinful, and it's faithless. If you still believe that if everyone in D.C. was a Christian, all the Congress, all the Senate, all the presidents, Joint Chiefs of Staff, and all the governors, we take back all the parliaments, America will be great again. No, it won't. You know who the hope for America is? The church. We're the hope of the world. Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. He didn't go to Plymouth Rock to build America. And I love America. Don't hear me say that. Anything different. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in this world, you have many trials and tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I've already won. We should be the most fearless people on the planet. Should we be engaged? Should we have conversations? Absolutely. Should we get angry? No, I don't think so. Anger comes from fear. What are you afraid of? You afraid of the apocalypse? I think it would be fun to watch. Here's the third thing. We need to pursue Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our highest aim, our highest pursuit should be Jesus. I feel like we pursue so much trying to make America great again that we forget the highest pursuit, which is Jesus. Make America great again? What if he doesn't want to make America great again? What about the other slogan? I'm with her. What if he's not with her? I don't want to be with her. I want to be with him. Pursue Jesus. In all things, we should pursue Jesus and point other people to pursue Jesus. And I'm not saying getting involved in politics is bad. We need more people involved in politics. There's people in our church that are very involved in politics, and I'm glad they are. Men and women who serve on boards and on township councils and who have run for office. Some of them have won won an office. Legislative seat, good. As long as they pursue Jesus over that. Because sometimes in politics, it gets a little confusing at times. Number four, this is a rough one. We need to pray to Jesus. What's rough about that? Well, I'm going to tell you specifically what to pray to Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we are told to pray for kings and those in earthly authority. So we know we're supposed to pray to Jesus, right? And one of the things that you need to pray to Jesus about is how he wants you to vote. If you were hoping that I would tell you, I apologize, I'm not going to be your functional God today. I refuse to be your savior. You're going to have to ask him yourself. And he'll speak to you. 
If you earnestly ask and seek him, he'll tell you what to do. That's praying to Jesus. But I'm more concerned about what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that you're supposed to pray for kings and those in earthly authority. What does that mean? In the very first fight club, right? This is a men's Bible study I started a couple years ago, and there was like 12 guys were sitting around a table. Guys in fight club heard this story, but it bears repeating because it was awesome. We're studying 1 Timothy. We get to chapter 2. We start breaking this down. What's this verse mean? Pray for earthly leaders, kings, those in ordained authority. We should pray for them. What does that mean? Well, we should like pray for, you know, like our boss and stuff. Yeah, pray for your boss. Even if I don't like him? Yeah, especially if you don't like him. Well, who else should you pray for? Well, our pastor. Even if I don't like him? Yeah, especially if you don't like him. Yeah, pray for your leader. He needs it, you know? Let's get, who, who else? Come on, man, who's in authority? And they're like, we're governors and township call. And we've named everybody except the elephant in the room. So what about a president? This one dude goes, no way, man. And this guy, love this guy. He's like a red state guy all the way. He's got the arsenal to prove it. You know what I'm saying? You guys don't know what I'm saying? (laughs) Further right than conservative. And he's like, you don't mean I don't pray for no Barack Obama. I'm not even sure where he, he was born. Like it says, pray for kings and those in earthly authority. At that time, that was a Caesar crucifying Christians. I think it means Barack Obama. Probably. I said, good, because we're going to pray for him right now. And you're going to do it. (laughs) I pray for no Barack Obama. Dudes, you know what I said to him, right? I said, hey, there's a women's Bible study that meets on Wednesdays. You're free to go to that. It's a fight club. You got to be a man to come in here. Come on. And that bro, it was the most painful prayer I've ever heard. It was. It was the only prayer I ever taunted someone during the prayer. Because he prayed, Lord, thank you. You remember, you were there. Yeah, it wasn't you, but yeah, Lord, I thank you for this day. He might have said, thank you for this food. He was like, thank you for our, he was just thanking God and he was beating around the bush. And I'm taunting him. I'm like, was that a niner in there that I heard? And then I said, say the words, pray for Barack Hussein Obama. Said it just like that. Lord, pray that you'll bless Barack Hussein Obama. Pray to Jesus. What if we spent more time praying for our leaders and less time trying to destroy them? In fact, this is my personal opinion. I think if you haven't prayed for your leader or a leader, you don't get to open your mouth and criticize. What if we spend as much energy praying for our president rather than trying to figure out if he's the beast, the antichrist? Really? Pray to Jesus. Where's your trust? Who are you pursuing? Who do you love? The fifth one, we need to obey Jesus. James chapter 4, verse 17 says that the Holy Spirit will lead our conscience. And if we don't go where our conscience leads us, that is sin. So when I say obey Jesus, after we pray to Jesus, we need to listen to Jesus. And he'll lead us in how to vote. He'll lead us in how to participate. You know, my wife, I, I think I told you, my wife and our staff, I mean, it was like, really, John, are we really doing politics? This is not going to. And they were fearful for me. And like I told you, I've only been punched once. And, and, and so I took all the staff that were available, went up into the upper room this week, and it's like, man, if people are going to throw rocks, you're going with me. So we prepped a lot of this sermon content, brainstorm stuff together. 
And I asked them a lot of these questions, and we talked about how to vote and who to vote and how to follow Jesus and obey Jesus in this election. You know what the fun thing was that happened in the upper room with your pastors, your church staff? It got a little heated. I got one guy that says, give unto Caesar means that you have to, sometimes you have to hold your nose and vote. And he was right. You're not voting for a pastor in chief. And if you're trying to get your candidate, him or her, to be the perfect like person that's godly and all this, I, yeah, wow, have fun finding that one. In fact, I've, I've, I'll say it publicly, I personally think this election would be better if the candidates at the top of the ticket would just step aside because the second guys seem to be pretty like normal humans, right? With morals <laughs> that are courteous and kind and both seem to love Jesus, right? Okay, I'd, let's vote for them. I don't know how you do that. Can't do it. I made somebody mad here. But it got hot. And one of the guys saying, yeah, you just got to hold your nose and vote. And another guy saying, right now, the way I'm praying, I can't pull the lever for either one. Oh, you can't do that. You can't not do something. Well, yes, I can. That's not participating. That is how, that's how I choose to participate is by not voting for those two people. And you know what? They're both right. And I found my saying, both of you guys need to obey Jesus. James 4, 17, listen to your conscience. God will show you. The same God that will give you the words to say when you're before accusers will give you how you should vote. It also means we should obey Jesus when it comes to the issues. There's important issues. And it's hard to navigate. Life and the sanctity of life, I believe, is important to God. But so is caring for poor people. Deuteronomy, there's a verse that says, feed the immigrant that lives among you. God's not racist. But he cares about life. What do I do? Listen to Jesus. Obey Jesus. Daniel was in a tough spot when he was prime minister to King Nebuchadnezzar. He found a way to vote for Jesus. Joseph was in a very difficult spot, second only to Pharaoh in Egypt, and he found a way to vote for Jesus and save his people. Esther, oh, can you imagine the shade thrown on Esther, right? Jewish girl married to a pagan king because she won a beauty contest. Well, she's not going to face genocide, blah, 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 blah. What's she doing? Sharing his bed, married to him. Queen Esther found a way to vote for Jesus because God had a purpose and she saved her people. We need Democrats who love Jesus in the Democrat party to obey and serve Jesus. We need Republicans in the Republican party who love Jesus to obey and serve Jesus. We need libertarians to do the same thing. When I was in Canada, someone asked me, how can anyone in your country call themselves a dot, dot, dot and a Christian? And they filled it in with a political party. And I know I've been in conversations and heard people say the same thing. How dare we? How dare we say that? We need Christians in all those parties. I don't know anyone can be a politician and a Christian. I should hope so. We need godly men and women that are participating. And he'll lead us in different ways of how we're to participate. He never said it would be easy. Sixth point, we need to point to Jesus. This is the hard one. We need to find a way in the midst of all the issues to make Jesus the king and Jesus the hero. What do I mean by that? Well, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we're Christ's ambassadors. That means we don't speak for Jesus, but we represent him. 
We speak where he speaks, but we don't make up lies like signs that says God hates fill in your most hated person. You don't get to say that. You don't get to say that. A friend of mine pastored a church in Orlando. And in Orlando, Florida at the time, there was this growing uh, uh, part of society that was you know, basically a homosexual culture. And this church was brokenhearted about it. But what they chose to do is engage with them, to build relationships with them, to reach out to those people. Well, at the same time, Disney had, they also reached out and had a Disney day, a rainbow day, a gay and lesbian and transgender day. And all the Christians were offended. And I'm sure these Christians probably thought that they were doing the right thing, but their way was to boycott and get angry and call talk shows and make their kids burn their Little Mermaid DVDs and we're not going to Disney and boycotting all things Disney and Disney's the devil and Disney's bad. They wanted Disney to be like a church. And my friend is leading this church in Orlando. It was like we had a staff meeting and we're sitting there going, thanks church. You've destroyed our entire ministry. They, we've labeled them, we've hated them, and now they're gone. And the only reason I bring that up, I mean, if you've ever demonstrated or boycotted or whatever, that's your right as an American. But I think we need to be careful. We need to find a way to build bridges, not barriers. I'm not saying we excuse sin. I didn't say that. But point to Jesus. How do we point to Jesus? I think they know what we're against. The 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. America's figured out what Christians are against. Isn't it time they knew what we're for? What are we for? Well, we're for Jesus. We point to Jesus. We don't point to ourselves. We don't point to our party. We don't claim any moral higher ground. What Christian ever claims the moral high ground? Because to be a Christian is to understand that you're a wicked sinner deserving of hell. The only moral high ground we hold is Jesus. So we point to Jesus. How do we point to Jesus? Now, I'm not saying that there's not really important issues. And I'm not saying, because it also says in the Bible that there's a time to resist earthly authority or to stand against it when it tries to get you to sin. But until then, we're to be subject to authority and we're supposed to point to Jesus. How do we do that? I know that we want to build bridges. We want to build bridges, not barriers. Last but not least, we need to love like Jesus. When we label somebody, we're not loving them. So I'll pick on guns. I'm pro-gun. I own some. It's because I have daughters. And they look like their mama. And I'll go to prison for them. But I have a friend who's a pastor who is a pacifist. So it's easy to look at him and say, what a pansy. Pansy. Probably let all them terrorists in. Uh, he served his country in combat in Vietnam. Say it to his face, I dare you. He has the right to be a pacifist, right? Don't label him. You don't get to label my friend. I can sit and have coffee and respect him and love him. He loves me like Jesus and I love him like Jesus. Jesus. 
And we're totally different ends of the political spectrum. What would happen if as Christians, we engaged in politics without hatred, instead we engaged with love? What if we chose to love people that disagreed with us instead of they're the worst and they're, you know, they want to crush this country, they hate America? How do you know if they hate America or not? They may disagree with you, but they may not hate America. The question is, do they love Jesus? Well, they're not for me. Well, is Jesus for you? No. He's for Jesus. And he's only for you as long as you're also for Jesus. The question is, is what does he want you to do to go back to Joshua chapter 5? What would happen if we started just stopped with the labels? Pastor Tim told me this story. He was sitting, or was sitting in his garage this week, and he was telling me the story of one of his sons. And, and his son, at this season of his life, just is feeling the need to distance himself from the church because he's involved with a group of friends, and he's involved in his job with a very artistic kind of set. And, and you know, there's some alternative lifestyles in there. And that's not Tim's son. His Tim, Tim's son loves Jesus, but these are his friends. And all he sees the church do is tell everybody what they're against and say some very unloving things about his people. He goes, they just label my friends. And so it's hard for me to be a part of church because they've labeled all these people. I just can't be a part of it. And then Tim pulled his mind ninja move. And he said, I know, son, you're right. And he goes, you know I love your friends, right? Yeah, dad, but you're different. You're different, you know. And I know you don't label those people. He said, yeah, but buddy, if what, what took me downtown to the art district and you introduced me as a pastor from the Buckley Gospel Tabernacle, how would I be labeled? I don't think we should participate in labels. We got to find a way because it's ugly. And we're called to vote for Jesus. You for me or against me? No, I'm for me. Question is, are we with him? What's it look like for us to love Jesus, to trust Jesus, to pursue Jesus, to not be ruled by fear, but to pray to Jesus, to obey Jesus, to point to Jesus? And ultimately, to love the way he does. How would that change the dynamic? What if instead of our lives being consumed with everything in D.C., what if we got consumed about what God's doing here? I'm sorry, I, I, I can't resist it, but it, i got to say it. We're losing students hand over fist, the church in general. You realize that? Christian boys and girls having sex before marriage, getting pregnant, running away from the church, running away from God, not just that. They're being just as greedy as their parents were, right? Chasing the world instead of chasing God. Starts when they're kids, right? Donald Trump will have zero to do with the discipleship of my son. Did you know that we're searching for a Tab Kids pastor right now? How much prayer time have we put into that, church? The person that's going to be responsible for the discipleship of our children at church. Don't you think that's a higher priority than Hillary's leaving children behind or not? What about our youth? What about our students? You know, students, their students are not interested in the firehouse. Do you know that there's always more small groups that we can have for students? What if we put the same amount of energy into showing up on a Wednesday and saying, Pastor Carl, put, put me to work. Put me to work. I care about the next generation. The church is the hope for America. One life at a time. It's hearts and minds, y'all. 
That's how America is made great. By the church reaching out, it's changed lives. It's loving God and loving people. You know how many marriages are at risk right now? You think the Green Party or the Libertarians are going to help marriages in our church? What if we became consumed about voting for Jesus where it matters? Sorry, I had to put that plug in because I believe it. Now, I know that we haven't answered every question. I got good news at 1.15 today on social media. There's a Q&A time. So someone on staff thought it'd be a good idea when John's preached four times and has no filter left <laughs> to answer questions about politics online for all the world to see. So you're free to go on there and type in your question or whatever. There's some doozies already, I'm sure. But uh, we love Jesus, so we'll trust. So you can be a part of that if you want. But I thought it'd be appropriate for us as we close today. Because of that First Timothy passage, I think it's important for us to pray. And pray beyond this service, but we're going to pray now. We're going to pray together. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then when I'm done, we're going to stand and pray together. And we're going to pray the most unifying thing you could possibly pray. Liberals, Democrats, uh, 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 conservative, Republicans, Green Party, fascists, communists, whatever. We're going to pray the prayer the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And that disciple crew, that was a sporty bunch. They had Simon the Zealot. Do you know what a zealot is? He's a red state, anti-government, anti-Rome, pro-gun militia member. He was one of the 12. Look it up. You know who else was a disciple? Matthew the tax collector. You didn't get that, did you? He works for the IRS. He's for big government, more taxes, right? He's progressive. He's a lib. He's a sellout, works for Rome. Can you imagine that campfire? Yet they all had Jesus at the center, and he said, this is how you should pray. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, election 2016 already belongs to you, but God, I pray that you would speak to us about how to participate and how to talk and how to act and how to pursue and how to obey, what to say, how to think, how to love, how to point to you. God, we need your help. God, we pray for our leaders today. I pray today for Barack Obama. I thank you for his life. I thank you for the fine example of a husband and father that he's been. God, whether or not I know anything about his politics or whether he's a follower of you or not, God, I pray today blessing upon him. On behalf of our church, we pray blessing on him and his family. God, I pray for senators and congressmen, for Joe Biden, for our governor, lieutenant governors, legislators. God, I thank you for the men and women who serve on our school board the godly men and women who are engaged there, and those that don't know you. God, thank you for their service. We pray blessing on them. And those that serve in the township, council. God, they make hard decisions. Give them wisdom. Give all those leaders wisdom. God, we pray for Vladimir Putin. Man needs your help, Lord. Breakthrough in his world in a way that he can only see you. If it be your will, God, I pray somehow that man maybe would become a Christian if he's not. I don't know him. God, I pray for the premier of North Korea, Kim Jong-un or Il, you know who he is. God, his finger's on a trigger. We pray for peace. We pray for love. We pray for the people of that country who are oppressed. God, would you relax his hand? 
It'd be so cool if the church would flourish there, God. God, we pray for governors. God, I pray for pastors. I pray for the pastor of the Wayside Chapel. Thank you for him. I pray that you would bless his ministry, bless his church. We pray for revival there. We need more churches in this town and in this part of the world. God, I pray for the Nazarene church right down M37. We pray for revival there for their pastors. God, bless their family. God, I pray for my friend Marshall, who today is preaching at Faith Reformed Church. I pray that his message would not fall on deaf ears. Thank you for that church and the way they've blessed us. God, I pray for Pastor Chris Emery, one of ours who's leading Bayview Wesleyan Church now. God, I pray that his message today would bear much fruit. God, that you would revive that church, the best piece of church real estate in Traverse City. God, blow it up for your kingdom. God, help us to vote for your son, Jesus, in everything and every way. And now, church, would you stand with me? And let's vote for Jesus by praying the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you. God bless America. You're dismissed.